My name is Young In, and it's my pleasure to represent Cornell Chicago Chapter Programs Committee to welcome you and introduce today's program and the speakers. Um, today's program is titled Giving Purpose to Place, Future Proofing with AI and Smart Cities. And we all know AI is one of the hot topics these days. So we'll try a slightly different format today, as Chris has mentioned. Um, today we'll have two separate mini presentations. Um, and by each speaker covering AI topic from two different point of views, and have a short Q&A after each session. Please make sure to fill out the Cornet's digital feedback survey before you leave today. So let me introduce our esteemed speakers and their bios. Our first speaker, Jeffrey Kesselman, is a co-founder and CEO of Evoke Partners, a powerful new platform that combines real estate, energy, disruptive technology, He's also founder and CEO of Optimized Energy, a strategic energy procurement company. Previously, he had held leadership positions at CRG and Newmark, and he was also global president of SIOR, the Society of Industrial and Office Realtors. In addition to his real estate development energy and prop tech responsibilities, he's also an innovative-minded business futurist an accomplished global speaker on topics such as digital disruption, exponential technologies, AI, blockchain, mobility, sustainability, and renewable energy. He's traveled the global studying smart buildings and cities, engages in prop tech angel investing and mentoring, and sits on various boards. Over the course of his 35-year career, Jeff has completed more than 1,500 transactions with an aggregate value of nearly $2 billion. He's achieved many notable awards and distinctions and was inducted into the Midwest CRE Hall of Fame. Our second speaker, Reagan Donahue, says her bio is written in collaboration with AI. It's so fitting with today's topic. And actually, uh, you see the image that has posted um, for this event, that's an image that Reagan has created, again, with the help of an AI in mid-journey. So Reagan Donahue is a co-founder of Futurian, a business consulting company focused on human-centric AI integration. She's a PQ, Positive Intelligence Certified Professional, as well as Well and Lead AP. Reagan has 15 years of experience in change management and workforce strategy and has made significant contributions to the AI industry over the past six years. As a founder of Chief's AI Academy, Reagan has been at the forefront of empowering organizations to navigate the age of generative AI. With a unique blend of expertise in change management and AI, Reagan has successfully helped firms upskill and reskill their workforce to thrive in this transformative era. Her passion for AI and commitment to workforce development has solidified her position as a leading authority in this field. Without further ado, uh, let's invite our first speaker, Jeff Kesselman, to the stage. I'm Jeff Kesselman. I am standing up. That is my one and only joke. <laughs> How's everybody? Thanks to Cornette for having me today, and uh, thanks to all of you for coming out. I'm excited to share my content with you. I'm gonna jump right in. I'm gonna move kind of fast, so eat, consume, watch. Um, 
and we'll see how we do. I think there'll be time at the end of my presentation for a couple of questions if you, if you happen to have them, okay? So um, I'd like to start with a couple of quotes just to put context behind what I'm gonna speak about and then we'll get on with it. Um, how many people know the World Economic Forum, one of the great leadership, executive leadership forums in the world, really? Um, and here's what they had to say last year. Uh, we stand on the brink of a tech revolution that will change everything in our worlds in a way that you really haven't yet understood. Its scale, its scope, its complexity will be unlike any of us alive have ever experienced. And that includes all of our predecessors. It's really that profound. Uh, another quote from somebody that I've actually gotten to know, Ray Kurzweil. If you don't know Ray, please Google him. He's a very important living figure in our, in our time. Um, he says, we won't experience 100 years of progress in the next 100 years. It will be more like 20,000 years in the next 100 years. And that's at today's rate. And shortly, I will show you why today's rate is actually accelerating. So that's what we call a low ball. That's not even a real number. It's low. So here's what we're going to talk about today. Exponential change, convergence, and AI, and smart cities. What are the X factors? Because there's plenty. Hopefully, some takeaways for all of you, and, and like I said, Q&A. If you're inclined to post on social, there's some hashtags and, and some um, addresses there to use. Please feel free to do so. Um, I'd like to start by going back in time a little bit. I'm going to play a, a short video for you. Listen carefully uh, to what they're explaining, but also what they say at the end. Projects that by the year 2000, the United States will have a 30-hour work week and month-long vacations as the rule. A lot of this new free time will be spent at home. And this console controls a full array of equipment to inform, instruct, and entertain the family of the future. We could uh, watch a football game or a movie shown in full color on our big 3D television screen. This console provides a summary of news relayed by satellite from all over the world. I might uh, check the latest weather. A telephone is this instrument here. If I want to see the people I'm talking with, I just turn the button and there they are. With equipment like this in the home of the future, we may not have to go to work. The work would come to us. Work would come to us. Work would come to us. And that's it, right? This is a presentation about the work coming to us or where we go to do our work. Because today and forevermore, we can do it effectively anywhere, anytime. But just because we can do it at home doesn't mean we're going to stay home to do our work, right? The work will come to us. So how is this possible? Well, uh, again, back in time, 1965, Gordon Moore says, hmm, this, this computing power thing is, is really acting interestingly. It's doubling uh, roughly every 18 to 24 months. And as a result, price performance is being cut in half. They go together. So what does that really mean? Well, we're now on the verge of 30 doublings since this time. Um, it's really the difference between linear and exponential. If I take 30 linear steps, I go 30 yards. If I take 30 exponential steps, I go 1 billion. Actually, it's over 1 billion meters. And at first, I didn't believe the math, so I actually sat down and did the math. It's, it's real. Um, if you fold a piece of paper, and you fold it again, and you fold it again, and you fold it again, 50 times, you'd have enough to go from the earth to the sun, okay? How many people have the new iPhone 17? Anybody? Okay, but you will, right? That's the newest that just came out. 
Uh, I don't have it either, by the way, but I researched it last night. That one phone has 19 billion, billion transistors embedded in the phone. Billion, not million, billion. And it's capable of doing 35 trillion operations per second. To put it in perspective, that's more computing power than all Apollo missions combined that went to the moon and came back. And you carry that in your pocket. That's Moore's law at work. Here's what it looks like, very linear, and all of a sudden, doubles, doubles again, doubles again, and begins to turn skyward. You can see it on the chart on the right. That's sort of where we are today. Uh, to give you a visualization of it, if you were trying to fill Lake Michigan using that same formula, you'd see very little blue water until the very end. So you can see the slider bar at the top, 1965, 70, 80, 90, all of a sudden, doubles, doubles again, doubles again, doubles again, and bam, you're filled up with water. That's the kind of thing that we're talking about as the underpinning for why AI and other technologies have started to hit a real stride. It's why the Internet of Things, past 50 billion interconnected networked devices, way sooner than the experts predicted. It's why it took 68 years, let's say more than 50 years for the phone, for the automobile, for the airlines, to reach 50 million users, and it took Pokemon Go 19 days. Uh, McKinsey, again, very respected management consulting firm and, and thought leader, says these are all the industries that will be trillion-dollar industries by 2025, so a couple years from now. These are already starting to feel mainstream to us, right? They're already well on their way. I don't know if you can see them because I think it's a little small, but mobile internet, automation of knowledge work, Internet of Things, cloud, robotics, right? These are all the things that we're already experiencing. They're already becoming mainstream. Here's the point with Moore's Law. Everything will be obsolete in 10 years. I will, you, you will. It's not my fault. I'm just your messenger today, okay? Everything will be obsolete. So moving into the future 2030s now, okay? Not that far away. Before the end of the next 10-year lease that you sign, this is what we're talking about. Smart cities... This is my vision now, with an overlay of artificial intelligence and an underpinning of blockchain. And I'm gonna explain that now, explain why. Okay, so by 2032, $1,000 buys you a computer power enough to be equal to the human brain. I'll give that a second to sink in, because I'm gonna blow that away in just a minute with the, 19, with the 2040s. But now what, would he have? what do we have? We have quantum computing for everybody, effectively. Right? $1,000 buys you quantum computer, quantum, quantum computing in your pocket. AI, which is already feeling like it's hitting a stride, has been networked and working 24-7, 365. No days off, no vacations, no bad days, no divorces, no illnesses, and it's networked to other AI networks, and they're exchanging data, and they're growing more powerful. And so if you think AI is something today, just wait, right? Internet of Things gives way to Internet of Everything. I'll let you think about that for a minute. Mobility as a service, 3D everything. Um, how do we power all this? Well, we think we can power everything for little or no cost by harnessing the sun. We can talk about solar in a second. Gen Z, Gen A, Gen B. Did you know that Gen A, Gen Alpha, and Gen Beta come after Gen Z? How many people actually knew that? Okay? It's kind of interesting, though, because in the 2030s, they become the dominant consumer spending force. 
they're going to vote with their dollars. And they're going to become decision makers at companies. Blockchain, digital currency, smart transactions. Okay? As I said, quantum uh, becomes a thing. Chicago is um, a main hub in the world for quantum computing. Quantum advantage means that it's actually more cost effective to solve problems using quantum computing than traditional computing. That's the quantum advantage. And that will be achieved by most predictions in the early 2030s, mostly because of Moore's law. Okay? Data. How many people write clauses into your contracts, into your leases, into your employment contracts, whatever contract you have, that says the data generated by this arrangement is mine, it belongs to me, and you don't get it? And of course, you're going to say it a little bit nicer than that, right? But how many people are beginning to understand how important it is that you control your data? Or you can keep giving it to Facebook and Insta, right, and TikTok for free, and they can go monetize it because you're not getting anything for it. You get enjoyment, right, from using the apps, but you're not certainly getting any money from it. Um, here's a couple quotes about the data. It's the oil for the 21st century, and analytics is the combustion engine, right? Every company has big data in its future. Um, I'm not going to go through everything on the chart, but just take a look. This is one minute of every day. The one that really grabbed me when I looked at this was TikTok. 167 million videos on TikTok alone consumed every minute. That's just pure data, okay? Every day, three times per second. More than, more quickly than I can even say this, this quote to you. We produce the equivalent of the amount of data that the Library of Congress has in its entire print collection. This is happening day after day, second after second. 50% of all the world's data have been created in the last two years. Okay, AI hits a stride. Take a look at the, at the larger GIF here. 14% higher as a result of AI by 2030. Okay, that's $15 trillion injected into the economy, into the GDP which, by the way, would make it the largest industry in the world if it were an industry all by itself, okay? Um, how many people have ever had, I don't know, a, a dinner party, cocktail party, uh, hung out with friends, and you talked about what the world's greatest inventions have been? If you've never done it, it's a fun thing to do for 20 or 30 minutes. I encourage you to try it. Do it with your kids. Do it with your family. Do it with your parents, okay? I've done it, and people talk about fire, right? Talk about the wheel, talk about the modern toilet, they talk about airplanes. Um, I was at a family event, and I had a chance to sit with three people who are very, very, very sharp in their late 90s, and I asked them the question. They said the television. That was the one that impacted them the most, although my mother-in-law said, uh, her, her uh, Apple phone she thought was the greatest invention of all time. But if you really stop and strip it down, AI's on that list. It's rising up to the top and may ultimately be the greatest invention of all time because of what it's capable of and where it's headed. Um, I had the good fortune right before COVID, like the summer of 19, to be invited to a, uh, like a real estate technology speakers conference. And I'm not sure how I got the invite, but I sure was gonna go, and I did. It's in Jackson Hole, and uh, I was other, with other speakers uh, and we were debating all these topics, robotics, automation, 3D printing. What's the big topic? We were not talking about AI, by the way. And there was a guy. Turns out it was this guy, James Whitaker. If you don't know James, he's responsible for the modern browser. He, he and his team were the lead engineers 
uh, Microsoft Explorer, and then they were poached away by Google and brought us Chrome. So you can, if you like your browser experience or not, you have James and his team to thank for it. He's sitting over on the side. He's saying nothing. He's listening to us. We're like, who's the weird guy, right? <laughs> all of a sudden, he comes to life, and he's like, you guys are all morons. You really have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> and we're like, excuse me? And, and he said, literally, this is what he said to us. Mark my words. When it, this is a 2019. When it comes to disruptive tech, there's AI, and then there's everything else, because AI partners with all the things that you're talking about. It's about AI. You can talk about all the other stuff. You're just wasting your time. It really like, resonated with me and I think with everybody else who was there. So commercial real estate and AI, what are some of the uses? How many people used ChatGBT before coming here today? Raise your hand. Be proud. It's a lot. Almost half the room, right? Amazing. Okay. Is it the end all be all? No. Does it save time? Does it come out? If you've learned how to prompt it with good questions to draw out good data, pretty good, right? So what do you do with AI in commercial real estate? If you could predict market pricing, would that be good? Because you can. Could you screen tenants? Could you improve your underwriting? Could you use generative design in the architectural and engineering process? I think you could. Could you improve spatial optimization? I think you could. I'm looking at, for the screen over here. It's not on there. Fire life safety. I was at a NAOP forum in Boston. Maybe some of you were there too uh, earlier this year. And we brought James Scott in from the MIT Real Estate Lab, and he gave us sort of a tutorial on AI. And was with 10 or 12 very prominent national real estate developers. And one of them said, ask ChatGBT to write me an offering memorandum for a 10-building industrial offering in Chicago. And we sat there and watched ChatGBT spit the whole thing out. And we all went, what? Okay, if it can do that, then it can improve your marketing. If it can do that, it can write your leases. If it can do that, it can do your appraisal, right? Energy management, continuous improvement, all, and the list really could go on. So who are some of the players? So I'm going to talk about the top three for a minute, but you can see, I mean, Jones Lang, for sure, JLL, a player, RealPage, Place, uh, Placer AI. Um, some of these you probably know. Some of them you should check out. Um, I am an investor in the top three, and I sit on their boards, and Teleglass is using AI to bring Nest, the power of Nest, which you may have in your home, to an office building, to the operations of an office building. It learns how the office building likes to be run, and then the AI kicks in and runs it better and gives you remote control of the building. That's the gist of it. They're really doing well. Odso, if you haven't heard of Odso, they are doing underwriting as a service using AI and improving the process. And they are signing up Nuveen and LaSalle and I can't remember. He called me the other day. He was so excited about that. He's signing up portfolio landlords like mad because of how good and how powerful that really is. Realnex, kind of a, the most profitable of all of these, by the way. Uh, kind of a Swiss Army knife of, of software for commercial real estate brokers. But they're introducing... Uh, later this year, or as fast as they can, work it out and get the attorneys to sign off on it, an AI chat component to enhance the user experience. Okay, These are just some of the AI opportunities that exist in commercial real estate today. Um, how many people, this is a short video, I can play it, or we can skip it if you think 
so many people raise their hand about ChatGPT. I don't know if it's worth showing you, but um, this is a video that explains uh, ChatGPT. I think in the interest of time, I'm going to skip over it. Back in there's, 2020. There's some, some better stuff here. Um, I don't hope you can see this, but this is what it looks like. Write a thank you note uh, to a long-term client who has recently sold their property with me. And this is what ChatGPT is writing. By the way, um, well, my partner was here. Uh, I recently launched a new company called Evoke Partners, and we just did a whole new website. And we told the web company that we wanted to write the website on ChatGPT. And they said, I've never heard of that. We said, let's just try it. And what came back, I'll be honest, was good but not great. It needed polish. But if you go to the Evoke Partners website, what you see there is about 80 or 85% AI generated. And then there's a, there's a polish or an overlay from us to make it ours. Okay, but that's how powerful this is. If you're not using it, listen, AI is not going to take your job, but a person using AI is going to take your job. Think about it. Okay, if you're not using it, you need to get in on it. Again, I don't want to really go down the rabbit hole on blockchain other than to say it is a better business model for secure transactions with a permanent ledger and the ability to control your data and your business partners and what you share together. Eventually, blockchain will underpin everything we do. Every contract, every lease, every transaction, smart contracts, tokenization of real estate, the ability to buy real estate like a share of stock. Okay, that's a matter that the SEC is considering right now. Again, here's some quotes. Uh, everything will be tokenized and connected to the blockchain one day. Blockchain is going to change everything more than the internet ever has. So if anybody like me thought the internet was the end all be all, we've already determined that blockchain is bigger than the internet. The internet of things is bigger than the internet. AI is bigger than the internet, right? It's just the, the, uh, the thing that empowers it all. If you're still not sold on blockchain, just do a little research and understand how many players there are in real estate and how many real-world use cases there are. If you're still not sold, check out Liberland. It's an entire country that runs on blockchain. I am a passport port holder. You can get it for $100. Just go on and apply. I've not been there yet. It's sort of right between uh, Croatia and the Czech Republic. Um, it's a real place, and it runs 100% on blockchain, everything in the country. Okay. Now start to think about taking AI and combining it with scalable digital twins, okay? That's for your person, right? Could you imagine if you each of you had a digital twin and you went in for a significant medical event, procedure, what have you, and it was the law that the doctor or the medical team had to simulate the intended treatment on your digital twin before they administered it to you, to ensure that they had the best course of treatment together with the best medications without the risk of allergies or interactions. Because that day is coming, okay? In the middle, Orlando put a freeze on all new mega development until it's modeled on a digital twin for traffic management. Okay, so you wanna go to build another Disneyland, Disney World, anywhere near Orlando? Not until we model it, okay? The European Space Agency is modeling weather patterns on the, around the Earth so we can try to predict El Ninos before they actually happen, okay? That's how powerful that is. Now imagine that with AI, and it's exponential. 
I'll speed through this. We now have hit 3D printing at scale. You're starting to see this already, okay? 3D printed food. How many people would try 3D printed food? Anybody? I would. It's just protein. Uh, if everyone else is eating it, I'll try it. Um, extreme mobility. Um, I love the, the, the bigger gift here. This is uh, downtown Seattle. When you take cars off the street, what happens, right? It's, it's air taxis. It's fleets. Um, it's EV charging. It, it's extreme mobility. Um, how many people know VTOL? Vertical takeoff and landing? Because we're going to have this in downtown Chicago very, very, very soon. And it's going to enable us to hop and skip 50 or 100 miles at a time, maybe more, but initially with the payload being us, the passenger, okay? And it will be like taking an Uber from here to Schaumburg, okay? Or from here, from O'Hare to Midway Airport. And that's how you're going to get there. Which means, by the way, how many people are protecting your air rights? Are you ready to monetize your air rights? Because you can, because of this. How many people are doing urban planning in three dimensions? Above ground, at ground, below ground. Because if you're not, you're not getting it right. All kinds of electronic aut autonomous vehicles, airplanes, trucks, buses, construction. New satellite networks to improve our throughput on GPS. Because once that happens, and you combine that with the extra data and the AI, it's kind of limitless what we can do, where we can go, and how we can accomplish it. Uh, and this network is in the process of being built out. Uh, how do, again, how do we power all this? Solar era. The solar industry already employs more people than the oil industry. How many people knew that? That happened about two years ago. That's not even new information anymore. Okay? The earth is bathed in more sun every day than every person on the earth combined could consume. So all we have to do is harness it. The issue there has been battery tech, which has been stubbornly linear. But once they burst through that, and there's about $500 million of VC trying to ex exploit that, that battery tech. And when that happens, when we can work all day, harness it, store it at commercial scale, and go home and consume it, it really is game over for any other form of renewable energy. I'm not even going to get into the climate change change element of it at the moment. If you just take a look at the yellow bars, between 2030 and 2035, all the other sources of commercially scalable energy begin to retire or dissipate or go away. That's when the solar era really hits its stride. These are all the countries that have banned motorized vehicles and the dates by which they've been banned. Again, here's the battery storage picture um, and when we think we can solve it. Again, right around the 2030s. Uh, jumping ahead, just in the interest of time, by the 2040s, $1,000, remember the $1,000 and what it bought? Well, now it buys a computer equal to all human brains combined. If you can just save your money 10, 15 years, how many people plan to be alive in 2040? Come on, everybody should be raising your hand to that one. I hope, okay? This is your future. The singularity arrives. The singularity is a theory put out by Ray Kurzweil that says, at some point in time, people and machines will forevermore become intertwined, will become one. It doesn't mean we're mating with robots. That's not what it means. But imagine taking a, a tiny little pill about the size of your Advil or your Tylenol. But it's not a pill. It's actually a machine. And it goes in your body. It makes you smarter. It makes you stronger. It makes you healthier. It makes you happier. It's proven safe, and everybody's doing it. At that point, people and machines have become together. That is the singularity. 
Again, I am not telling you this is my vision. I'm reporting it to you from other people. But that's what happens in the 2040s because we have the technology. We now have effectively free energy, uh, very abundant, very low cost, everything as a service. What do you want? You can have it. Just dial it up, okay? The big one, virtual reality, indistinguishable from reality. Sort of like total recall. Did it happen? Did it not happen? Is it real? Is it not real? It's going to become very hard. And it's really a big issue. It's a really profound issue. Uh, everybody's going to possess perfect data. Does that mean we have perfect markets? Is there no more negotiations? It's hard to say, right? I'll move on. Uh, here's Ray Kurzweil, the predictor of, of singularity. By the time we get to the 2040s, we'll be able to multiply human intelligence a billion-fold. It's a profound change that's singular in nature. That's why it's the singularity. Computers get smaller, smaller, go inside our bodies, make us healthier, make us smarter. That is the singularity. Are there X factors? You bet there are. We all know force majeure. It's always a thing. Uh, we all know global and local politics, especially these days, right? Economic cycles, capital costs. Um, in the interest of time, I'm going to kind of blow through the, uh, I was going to talk about cybersecurity and the things that are highlighted here. But in the interest of time, um, I'm going to move past those. Um, all I'll really say is the chart on the right, to me, sums it up nicely. Tech change follows that Moore's Law curve. But social change doesn't, and business change definitely doesn't, and political change definitely doesn't. And somewhere in there is the reality that we live, and that's why these are X factors. Um, cybersecurity will be an issue. Why? Because the enemy is better at it than we are. Um, everything we've done is in the cloud, and it needs to be powered. If we lose access to our electric grid or to the cloud, what do we do? Golf? I mean, it really is an issue. It's a real weak point. Climate change is real. We talked about the demographics. We're headed towards an era of super regional clusters where the Midwest is actually competing with the Southeast because it's so easy with ultra-mobility to move about in these regions. It means joining together to compete, not competing within our regions. It doesn't make sense anymore. Um, key takeaways, this is a big one for me. We all need to get ahead of our customers and be ready to greet them when they arrive in the future. Right? I think that says, says it quite well. Um, key takeaways for you, if you're not trying to figure out how to embed AI and blockchain into everything you do, five or 10 of your fiercest competitors are. And that should scare you. Hopefully, you're one of the five or 10. You have to think like a tech company, not a real estate company. You have to think like a tech company, not an architectural firm. You have to think like a tech company, not a furniture company. You're not. You're a tech company specializing in furniture, OK? You need to go back to school, upskill, learn some new skills, hopefully share those and teach those to your families, to your friends, your kids. You need to be even more nimble than you already are. You need to own your data. If you take nothing else away from today, start owning your data. Think in 3D, um, understand the X factors. One final thought, this saying's been around for a long time. It is not the strongest of the species that survives. It is not the most intelligent. It's the ones that are most adaptable to change. Change is upon us, and it's accelerating. If you can adapt, you will thrive, but you have to be ready to adapt. With that, I am done with the presentation, and if we have time, I'm going to look over to, to our host. Do we have time for a few questions? Yeah, good. OK. Any questions? I've, yes, please. Oh no. But you were a broker at first. I was. So what what made you switch from brokerage to 
AI and technology? That's a great question. And I feel like that was probably like, what, five years ago? Uh, I was broker from 1987 until about four or five years ago. I actually still do a little bit of brokerage, not much. Um, I like this better. I don't know. There's a lot of good brokers. So <laughs> the world doesn't need more good brokers. They, they need this. Um, I met Ray Kurzweil, and I met a, Peter Diamandis. is another person. He uh, partners with Elon Musk and SpaceX and, uh, if you know, XPRIZE. Um, ushered in this privatized era of commercial space travel single-handedly. Great speaker, uh, accessible. Um, we hung out two or three times, and I was like, yeah, pretty much what you said, that's, that resonates with me. And uh, I began to talk about it, and then people started asking me to talk about it, and then I got deeper into it, and I don't know. Um, then I said, it's fun talking about it, but it'd be better to make money at it, <laughs> right? So uh, I started Evoke Partners, which really takes that real estate uh, and energy. I own an energy company, which I didn't talk about, but it takes the, the real estate and the energy and the disruptive technology, and it puts it together as a platform. That, to me, is the go-to-market strategy for all of us. Um, Fortunately for me, most of you aren't doing it yet, but I do think you will. That's what I think the right platform is. I hope that answers the question, but thank you for asking. I see one back here. Go. Go ahead. Obviously, you mentioned Peter and a lot of things you've talked about here, stuff he's been preaching for a while. Do you know who that is? You Peter Demandis, yeah. yeah. The future's faster than you yeah. think. Yeah, good. Great book. I'd recommend everybody in the room go read it. Uh, but one of the things that's not in Peter's book, but it exists, is there's the, the rate of change versus your X factors, the rate of, of adoption. And that's much slower. For sure. So how do you tackle the rate of adoption? How do we, as an industry, look to that? Because that, that seems the X factor, I think, was one of the most important parts of, of what you had presented. The other stuff... There's nothing we can do about it. That's the one thing. It's good to be aware, though, right? It. Yeah, it's good to be aware. Um, and a lot of that is, is predictions, and whether it's 2032 or 2033 is, is hard to really say. Um, I will say one thing, though, about predicting the future. Ray Kurzweil has made 150 to 200 very well-documented predictions. And if you Google this, his accuracy rate of his predictions coming true is around 87%, consistently 87%. So if there's any person out there who can tell the future and expose us to it, it really is that guy. And by the way, the other 13%, he's off by an iteration, but he's not actually off. He says the singularity is coming in the 2040s, and it comes in the late 2040s, not the early 2040s. To him, that's a miss, but he wasn't really wrong. So he, it really is an important figure in all of this, and Peter Diamandis, and they, and they do Singularity University together, which you, you may know. Um, the X factors are the X factors. Uh, I wish I had more time to, to delve into them. Um, there's a personal element to it, and there's a professional element to it. Personally, I would say to everybody, if this is interesting to you, if you accept this as our reality on any level, a little bit less than I said, a little bit more than I said, either way, pick one thing. Pick a pet project. If you're interested in 3D printing, be a 3D printing expert. Just go deep in that one thing and then take the show on the road and share your knowledge and your intellect with somebody else. Professionally, I don't think we can all master all of this stuff organically. There's not enough time. There's not enough money. There's not enough resource. So I think partnering um, and joining forces with like-minded folks who already have that expertise and can scale it 
in a way where we have ROI for our spend, right? You have to rebudget a little bit differently. But if you're partnered with the right people and they have that expertise, and this may be a competitor, which you may never have thought about combining forces with in the past, may make all the sense in the world moving forward. But to me, those are sort of the best ways personally and, and professionally to plow through those X factors and certainly, of course, just pure awareness. Be aware, get a new newsletter that you didn't used to get, set aside 10 minutes every morning to read about it. Doesn't really take that much more than that. It just doesn't. So I hope that addresses the X factors. It's a really, really good question, though. Did I say it? Okay. Thank you guys all so much for letting me share the content with you. It's an honor to be here. Appreciate it. Hi, everyone. Okay. Quick thing. Everyone stand up. Because I got to get you back and rolling in your minds. Thinking clearly. Okay. Now, the year is 2023. Everyone who knows what AI is, keep standing. Okay. The year is 2022. Everyone who didn't know what it was, sit down in 2022. 2021, this is not a trick question, by the way. Okay, 2020. Uh, 2019. We've got some good people in this room, by the way. Okay. And 2018. Way to go, Amanda. 2017. Oops, this thing is falling. Okay. 2016. We have two standing guys. Okay, sir, when was the first time you heard of AI? 2010. Okay, how about you? 2014. Awesome. Does everyone know that AI was invented in what we just talked about earlier in the 50s? The Turing tests, first time ever? How crazy is that? So AI has been around for a little bit, and I'm going to start with a little fun story about the dodo. This guy was acclimated to his environment. He was doing awesome. He was crushing life. And all of a sudden, this, like, unbeknownst to him, outside influence came into his world. And he was a flightless bird because he didn't have to fly. There was no external threat to ruin his situation until, insert, humans. So I think everyone knows that Dodo's extinct, right? Did you know that it's our fault? that we actually hunted it over and over and we basically killed it off because it was so trusting and it didn't learn to fly. It didn't teach itself how to you know, adapt into an environment that came out with a new threat. Now, I don't want to freak anyone out. I don't think that AI is a threat. I actually love AI. It does a lot of my work for me. As Yang mentioned earlier, I use it, I co-collaborate with it on everything I do now. I feel very strongly about that because I like to kind of outsource my brain a little bit. I'm exhausted. Who here is tired? Anybody? Yeah. I would, by the way, love to go back to that 30-hour work week that guy was talking about. Because, by the way, since the 60s, we are apparently 10 times more productive. And we're still working crazier hours. So, OK, obviously talking about, te about technology now, we've got to show a little video. Uh-oh, it's not working. Come on, Mr. Man. There we go. Sorry, guys, it was a really cute video of my son on top of a Roomba, on his extra large Boomba, by the way, because um, he's quite a chunky little man. Thank you to my 6'7 ex-football player husband. Uh, so anyways, what's funny about this video, in AKA still photo, <laughs> at this time, um, 
I was actually just starting. This was one of the first times I heard of AI. My son is now almost seven. So it was 2017 for me that it became part of my world. And I'll never forget the moment when I was working in-house in Uber's programs analysis and innovation team. And I saw what they were doing with Carnegie Mellon out in Philadelphia. They were creating these flying drone uh, examples in these driverless car examples. Ironically, I now am working in-house with Waymo's team, which is Google's autonomous driving vehicle. And so having ridden in some of those myself and working with some of these like really cool perception engineers over the last few years, um, I've been exposed to a lot of unique things. And quite frankly, I do not call myself an AI expert. I am very, very curious. I'm very, very interested. And I'm really good at connecting with all of the right people who can train and bring in the right skill sets and levels. But I do want to share a little things I've learned along the way. Like this was back in the 60s. The first chatbot was Eliza. And people got so attached to her that she was like a therapist for everyone. And people were actually like asking her really personal questions. And the woman who worked for the guy who designed her actually asked him to leave the room so she could have a private conversation with Eliza. So just to show like kind of where we've come from, where we're going. And there's been three different um, types of eras that we've lived through through AI. So from the 60s to the 80s, it's a symbolic AI era. What's important about this to know why we should care this was where it had very clear, very specific information and very black and white details. So the computer could then make a decision based off of a very specific, very clear information. Then come the era from like 1980 to 2010. This is sort of like the algorithmic time where companies like Netflix figured out how to create algorithms to suggest that you should watch another show of Love Island. And I have no idea why it keeps saying that to me. I don't watch those trashy shows. But anyways. So now we have entered in since the fall of 2022 and ChatGPT made its astounding, you know, sort of drop the mic moment with our entire world and just, in my opinion, changed everything. Uh, that was when the, you know, the humans came onto the dodo island for me. Uh, and this is the age of generative AI. And the reason why this matters is because it's no longer something that's going to depict just clear algorithms or very concise black and white information. It is now thinking creatively. It is now making more critical decisions. And it is now changing the way we're going to need to see work in the future. So what jobs are at risk? I'm sure everyone cares about this. This is a report by McKinsey. By the way, if anyone wants a copy of this presentation, I have notes on every slide with all the information I'm sharing. I'm happy to share. I was actually going to probably post it up on my website, just futurian.ai, because .com is so 90s. We have, obviously, mundane, repeat, repeatable, repetitive tasks. Does anybody want to be a data processor and enter information to a computer anymore? Anybody? Because I just love spreadsheets and like sitting there and typing stuff. It's really fun, right? Said no one ever. So that, I think, will all be OK if some of that starts to get automated. I absolutely love it when something like MagicWrite comes onto Canva, for example, and it makes little suggestions on how to add sparkle to what I'm writing within my deck or presentation or how to organize it better. And then obviously, we know that the like predictable physical work, that thing was already gone, right? So what are some of the jobs that are coming in? What do we need to focus on? Where are the areas that we can be successful? Creatives and obviously the technology professionals, but not like you might think. Everyone's thinking, oh, well, then I need to learn uh, natural language processing. I need to learn uh, machine learning. I need to understand coding. I need to know all these very complex things that the engineers are doing. But here's what's awesome is that all of that kind of stuff, the re it's repeatable, 
And once a futurist at Stanford was presenting to a law group, and he said something very profound. He said, anything that can be done more than once is a commodity, right? And a commodity is something you can repeat. Anything that's a commodity can eventually become computerized. And anything that can be computerized can eventually be done for free. So the whole point is, things like even coding at times can be repeatable and eventually done for free. So eventually, AI can do some of the coding for us. And you can actually, if you wish, teach yourself how to code through AI. I don't recommend it. It's quite boring. I don't think zeros and ones are very interesting. Anyways. But also, you guys might care about this. This is kind of cool. Builders. Builders are another area that are growing, according to McKinsey. And this is like of July 2023. And what I think is happening and I hope for the entire industry is happening, is companies are finally taking a hard look at their spaces and going, okay, it's not fitting the needs of how people need to work and how they need to interact. And we all kind of know that's why, because if you're going to be outsourcing these mundane, repeatable tasks, the things that you're gonna be doing are more creative and more complex. And some other reasons why you wanna come in person and you wanna meet face-to-face -face with people is, has anyone heard stories, and again, not trying to fear monger, but like the deep fake of AI, where they can repeat someone's voice. There's a mom who got a call from her daughter, I think she was in South America or something, and it was the middle of the night, so her daughter's asleep, and they said something like, oh, mom, I'm in jail, and it sounded exactly like her voice. You need to send $10,000 here. And again, I don't have the exact story, but I remember hearing about it going, whoa, that's actually really scary, because I could see my mom totally falling for that. Um, not me, ever. Like I, <laughs> So it's this deep fake of, you know, is this real? You start to question things. A lot of stuff through AI, by the way, a lot of data that you can gather, you have to go and cross-check it. Because a lot of the data is not clean data. It's not clear data. So one of the differentiators in the future is not just being able to have the copious amounts of content, it's about having the quality of the content. And there's a fallacy that I love, because I'm actually from Austin, Texas, and it's the Texas sharpshooter fallacy, where if you take your six-shooter guns and you shoot them up against a, um, a barn, because that's what we all live in in Texas, obviously, and you shoot like 200 different loads of whatever your guns. Then you go up and you find the one with the tightest cluster that looks the best, and then you draw your target. And that's what people have been doing in data science. They've just been grabbing the content that looks the best, and this looks good to me, so we're gonna put this in our report. That's why I love people like Amanda, because thank you for giving us the clean, clear, quality data. Um, and so obviously in this age, I wanna talk a little bit about the new skills required in a minute, but to the right, same little chunky baby on the Boomba, I actually outsourced to AI to make him look like a Napoleon. <laughs> kind of fun. So you can play with it as well. Um, I have had the privilege of meeting this woman, Kate Crawford. She is one of the originators behind AI, and she comes from the world of Microsoft. And she actually gave a really great talk to um, a group that I'm a member of with Chief. If any females are members of that, let's go hang out at the clubhouse later. Anyways, um, she said that AI is neither artificial nor intelligent. And I was like, well, thank goodness, because I was getting really nervous for a minute there. There's going to you know, take everything away. But she showed a picture of a lithium mine where we actually gather the content to make AI. And then she showed a picture of a call center in India where a lot of AI is being outsourced to be handled and to be run through and filtered through. So also, it's also very important to think, even if you think you're just talking to like a chatbot, there's people behind it usually. For example, with Waymo, they call it the Waymo driver, 
Right now, they have about 35 engineers behind every car. So even though the car looks like it's driverless behind the scenes, it's like the duck on water, right? Where you're like, ah! So we're in a, not to like play on real estate for everyone, but I thought it was kind of cute, a revolution. And uh, some impacts of AI. So can anyone on here pick out which pictures were real and which ones are AI? They are all AI. They are. They all are not real people, images generated by AI. So just think about the, the challenges that we're going to have moving forward. And again, this is why that face-to-face -face moment, you might almost need to like touch someone's hand to make sure, OK, you're real, right? OK, good. Because trust is going to be one of the biggest factors in our future. The challenge to be able to share your information with someone is going to be very difficult. Because the reality is, how can you trust if you don't know who's on the other side? And they can generate videos. I love the one they did with like Socrates talking to like Tupac or something. You know, we can have fun with this. But it's also, there's some big implications within the workforce. And these are things, that, the information you need to bring to your clients and let them know. So in my world, I, you know, I actually am a um, recovering furniture vendor from my past. And I've been in workplace strategy for about the first, you know, 12, 13 years of my life. And then I actually um, worked within the corporate real estate side, which is when I went into like the Uber and the Dropbox and the Waymo world. Um, but what I realized was that the upskilling and the reskilling for the workforce is what's going to matter more than ever. Because it's not about being replaced by AI. Let me, let me repeat, we will not be replaced by AI. But our job could be replaced by the person who knows how to use AI better. Very important to note. So taking a skills taxonomy of your workforce, what does everyone have? What are your current skills? So um, as Yang mentioned, I formed an AI academy, and we were talking with a woman from the head of chief people officer within one of her firms, and she said, companies don't even realize the skills that some of the workforce has that have not even been tapped yet, that are going to be so important and so critical in the future of adapting these new technologies. And then taking those untapped skills that we can upskill, but then identifying the future and what are the skills that you need to reskill. So here's some new skills, because I'm not going to leave you hanging. But we have data analytics. Obviously, we talked about this where it's so critical and important to be able to come out with the quality data. Um, we have AI basic foundation. If anyone has never done a course on that, I can make strong recommendations. But I think you can pretty much find that anywhere online or whatever to you know, sort of give yourself the basics. AI ethics is one that I think is a really important one. In fact, uh, my husband's an attorney, and I've brought him into my business because more than ever, we need sort of a legal counsel to help with the compliance and to help with all the challenges that are going to be coming out to help prevent if you use something with AI, is it using someone's likeness? Is it talking in a voice that you should not be duplicating? Even OpenAI is admitting that they're trying to fix this because they want, you know, for example, the Screen Actors Guild recently, um, the writers, they are now protected. So that's going to be coming more and more. So we want to protect ourselves first while we go out and explore and play and have fun with it. And then my favorite one, which I'm going to hopefully give some people some new skills today, is prompt engineering. So can I see your show of hands if anyone even knows what prompt engineering is? 
Yes, that's awesome. Not for you guys. <laughs> hey, we're going to stick together. So first of all, this is what happens if you tell AI nothing. I just wrote to the AI guy and I said, draw your favorite subject. How creepy are these pictures, by the way? <laughs> like, this is the stuff in its head right now. Like, what? So prompt engineering is important because this is how we're now going to be speaking to AI, OK? So it's sort of like the modern day coding, if you will. And in fact, I predict that prompt engineers will be replacing software engineers over the next decade, even maybe the next four or five years, as well as they're coming in to the world of design and architecture. There are mid-journey architects out there. Has anyone ever heard of the program mid-journey? So this is one where these guys are coming out and they're skilled and they're doing really good things. Now, so again, quick little insight into what this is. Prompting, it's a summary of what you want the computer to come out with for you. And it takes it into its large language model, LLM. And then the output is what it gives you in return. So you do it every time you use ChatGPT. You do it if you use something like Midjourney. You do it if you use these different programs where it's creating something for you. So again, here's the problem. <laughs> this is what I've learned working with these engineers. These guys love their video games sometimes, not to like stereotype, but you know, there, there is kind of a stereotype of like what's been inputted and who's been playing with these different things in the past. So for example, this is an image it gives me. <laughs> it's like an elf queen or something, I don't even know. Uh, and so what you have to think about is, okay, if I wanna come up, and by the way, I said something like draw an image of a woman in the future. Like that was what it thinks we're gonna look like. <laughs> kind of fun too. Um, so prompt engineering is a way, there's four things you need to take into context. You want to be very clear with what you're asking. You want to have a really good context. You want to have precision and adaptability. I also think of it in a sense, like if in the last few years you've ever done a persona for an employee or a workforce persona, you want to think of it that way. So I always give it a persona, like who is my audience? What am I doing this for? What is the background? What is the goal? And then I keep playing back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. I never use the first few prompts. Some prompts have taken me months, but it ends up coming up with great content and information. So like this was my you know, fourth or fifth attempt. Again, I will never be a mid-journey architect, but it just goes to show that if you give it a few things, it'll kind of come around. Now, it also shows how it's not there yet, right? <laughs> this thing looks a little crazy. Um, so, what we want to start thinking about, this is, by the way, thanks to my brainstorming with ChatGPT, my new favorite word, adaptrophy. We need to adapt or atrophy. And I love it because I'm kind of sick of all these words that I'm hearing all the time. I don't know if anyone's ever heard of this word. It's kind of a new one. Collaboration. <laughs> Innovation. I know. Um, so, by the way, I have a few more free words for you to take with you and enjoy. Uh, but either way, as humans, it's so important to think about what we do differently why we're unique, why we're special. And this is one of my favorite articles I read back in like 2016. It talks about how we use social learning to become the superior species. And what that is, is if you think about like our tribe mentality, where we come together and we would work together to take down, you know, whatever thing we were hunting for the day, if it was just us alone. In fact, the worst thing during a tribe was to be singled out and kicked out of the tribe because that meant almost certain death. And so, when we're talking about things like social learning in the workplace now, this is not a new topic. Culture, the word culture, like technically, when it was officially first formed, was 70,000 years ago. So there's this power of proximity, 
and I love talking with Yang about this, we actually called it the pop. Um, but basically, it's bringing people together and the, the feeling you get from the in-person, the, the cross-pollination of ideas, and a couple of my favorite stories, so I am gonna go a little bit back in history to share some fun little nuggets. Uh, this is obviously, this artist came into um, Gertrude Stein's salon back during the Lost Generation stages. It was during the First World War in Paris. Gertrude Stein was sort of like this connector and she loved to hang out with artists and like all these famous people. And so she was friends with like Hemingway and Scott Fitzgerald, you know, and like totally name dropping for her. So anyways, um, this young man comes in and at the time he was so broke, he was actually burning his paintings in the fire to stay warm. And he runs into another guy who had just come from Africa and had some like really cool masks that he brought from Africa, which this cross-pollination of ideas, and they sort of like built off each other, then created Picasso's new Cubist era. So you can just say that next time someone says, we don't need to come in person to collaborate. You can be like, oh, really? Have you ever heard of Picasso? <laughs> or Medici's. These are my Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle artists. They were all together at the same time. I think we're sensing a trend where it's like Michelangelo, Raphael, Donatello, Leonardo, they all played off of each other. They also argued a lot, which sometimes creative vibration is a good thing. So Raphael and Michelangelo specifically, but then they like totally copied each other's work. So on the left we have Raphael and on the right we have Michelangelo. And by the way, AI wanted to play too, so I let it do a couple. If you look closely though, they look a little crazy. <laughs> but it just goes to show that like, this was from like some very simple versions of prompts that I did like this morning just to throw it in for fun. Um, what AI is going to be capable of in the next few years. Albert Einstein had a dinner group. Actually, this is kind of a cool story because he was working on the Manhattan Project, but he would sneak away, go under this tunnel, and end up in this like old dining room in Pasadena, which I've actually been to, and it's really pretty fantastic. And he attributes most of his brightest ideas that he contributed to the GPS system, which is currently what it is today, uh, through hanging out with these friends in the salon and you know just having fun. And he attributes all of the knowledge he put towards the Manhattan Project being in a dark room at Caltech Poly or Cal Polytech or whatever. So needless to say, let's have some fun, people. So here's a new word. We have to be creative on complex subjects. So creatrixity, that could totally replace collaboration, I think. And episteme, which is actually Latin for collaboration. And that is during the time of Aristotle, Plato, Socrates. These are some of my favorite guys, by the way. I sometimes tend to quote them because I just think it's pretty found foundationally amazing to think that someone like Aristotle's ideas have come to life where we are today. And the number one idea I think that is so interesting and impactful is the term arete, which it's technically in French spelled which would mean to stop, but we won't talk about that. But arete in Latin means what you're currently doing and what you're capable of doing. And in between this gap, this is where we all do a gap analysis, right? And in this gap, in this little part here, this is where stress, depression, and anxiety live. Because we all are doing something here, but we're so overwhelmed, so exhausted that we're trying to get here. And so I think the goal is how do we sort of enable ourselves to outsource some of these mundane, you know, repetitive tasks so we can get more into this creatrixity epistamine and do the cross-pollination of ideas and feedback and inspiration with each other. So, you know, either way, because of that, our brains are suffering. This is our, my, one of my favorite terms. It is a real term. I did not make this one up. It is actually because we are just so over inundated with information and content and go, 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 information, no, 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 all the time. And so 
some of the things that is happening from this, there's a stat from Ebbinghaus Forgetting Curve where I hate to say this, but within an hour, you're going to forget 60 to 70% of what I told you. I know, I know, because it's like really good information, right? Um, that's why I always share my presentations. That's why I always add notes, because I actually think a lot of this content can be useful to people to apply. And also, another scary fact is about 10 minutes into this presentation, everyone like at some point got distracted. You looked at your phone, you did something, and it's not your fault. That's how our brains are wired, because they're actually trying to edit out information and clean it up. So again, that's something we need to kind of look at, and how do we sort of outsource some of this to AI? And to be more memorable, how do we kind of incorporate things like the art of storytelling? So I'll end with a story. Oh, and by the way, I do have two kids. I probably should have my daughter in at some point. That's kind of playing favorites with my son, I guess. But um, basically, my, my son, he told me that he wants to be an astronaut one day. And I said, well, hon, that's never going to happen. Your dad's 6'7", 300-pound ex-football player. You'll never fit in the spaceship. <laughs> like, it's just so sad. But um, I said, maybe you can help work on it in the back scene. So anyways, we actually went to NASA um, for the summer uh, a year and a half ago on a little road trip. And the NASA astronauts actually announced that they were on this goal and this mission. Like, I'm sure if you look it up right now, they've got like some cool branding behind it. Where I think it's Artemis, where they're trying to get back to the moon. <laughs> I was like, what do you mean you're trying to get back to the moon? We've been to the moon. And it kind of made me think of like everyone saying we're trying to get back to the office. And everyone's like, we've been to the office. It's boring. The moon is just a bunch of dirt. The office is just a bunch of cubicles. Come on. No one wants to go back to the moon. But then they said something that was really interesting, and I thought the connection to it made a lot of sense in our world. They said, well, we have to go to the moon first, because we have to test, and we have to pilot, we have to try and live in space for a little bit and understand what, what our needs are, so then we can get to Mars. I was like, ooh, OK, OK, now I'm listening. And so the point is, I think the office of today should be the moon. And we should be testing and piling and trying new things to then get to the office of the future, which is Mars, obviously. And so let's all try and rethink and reevaluate. And let's use AI as our friend, not our enemy, and embrace all of this change. That's all. Um, and if we have questions at all, I'm happy to field them or take them after the fact. <laughs> Sorry, what is your website? Oh, my website? It's Futurian, F-U-T-U-R-I-A-N, dot A-I. And if you want to reach me personally, it's just Reagan at Futurian, dot A-I. Um, and it's R-E-G-A-N. But I will be uploading this presentation within the next 24 hours. I just fixed a few things this morning, so give me a moment. <laughs> And I'm always happy to share all my research, all my things. I think we live in an age where information sharing is easy. It's about how you apply that content. And so anything, any questions anyone ever has after the fact, feel free to reach out to me. Anything else? So uh, in one of your slides, you mentioned that there was you know, an image of the future woman, and she ended up being this weird elf lady. So I think. I guess my question is, like, what's being done to sort of, like, engineer out um, unconscious bias or sort of like that, that underpinning of the people behind AI? That is a great question. Um, so that's why, actually, we started this AI Academy. It is an all-female academy, which is very rare in the world of AI. And our goal is actually to bring as many 
people as possible right now, or like 220 members, but like to get everyone, including men as well, but to give everyone's feedback with different nationalities, different cultures, um, you know, female, male, different, you know, whoever you are, whatever you are, because the more we interact with AI, the more it's going to get from us. Because it's actually like, it's, it's not embarrassing, I guess, but there was, it's kind of almost like, you know, there's such a bias right now, but it's not AI's fault. We just have to keep training it. And the only way we can train it is to use it. So the more people that use it and the more people that give it that content, the better it's going to be trained. And by the way, this is directly from the mouth of a woman, Yvonne Lee, who she came from IBM. She's one of the first AI experts. She's ranked top 40 under 40 with Fortune magazine. She was the one who specifically said, we need to make sure that we're interacting with it on a regular basis. So like everyone that says, oh, I'm nervous to use it because it might learn too much from me, it might take from me, it actually is kind of the opposite of that. If we don't interact with it enough, it's going to have the same bias that it has with that little <laughs> crazy elf lady. I thought, when I put that in, I was like, oh, dang. <laughs> so when you say you put it in, are you using ChatGPT? Uh, no, that, when I, when I enter for those, I actually use MidJourney. And uh, Dolly is the one from OpenAI. That's their version of the art generation. Uh, I mean, there's hundreds of them out there. I tend to go with the more commercial ones because they've been vetted and used a lot more. And so um, my favorite version of ChatGPT, if anyone wants some tips, <laughs> I obviously love OpenAI. They have a lot of tips on like how to prompt, and they kind of help everyone. But actually, there's an app called Genie. And the reason I like that one the most is it saves my conversations. And so if I start a conversation with it, I can always go back and open that old conversation and continue to work on that topic. Because one of the biggest challenges right now is AI is sort of like talking to like your grandparent who has dementia, where they can recall something that happened 40 years ago, but they forget what you told them two minutes ago. And so it's very forgetful, and it like it's like starting over every time. So that's Genie's a great app as well for just the typical chatbot. Yeah. With a G. <laughs> it's like a little conversation thing. Any other questions? We good? Hey, thank, thank you. you. If everyone can give uh, Jeffrey and Regan a big round of applause. And for those of you who don't know me, um, I am Diana Pizzoni with Stantec. I'm the Vice President of Coronet here in Chicago. A couple quick reminders, as you were already uh, noted, there is the uh, QR code to please take the survey. And as Regan was saying, garbage in, garbage out. So the more information we have from you, the better uh, luncheons we can give to you. And lastly, um, next month, uh, December 7th, we have Think Lab here. The topic is Gen Z and shaping the the future of the workplace. So we hope you will all sign up early, maybe not often, but definitely sign up early so we can have a wonderful luncheon for you all. Thank you so much. Have a great Thursday. <laughs>